Um, just real quick, before I get to uh, the message for today, um, last week if you weren't here, we kind of diverted in the middle of well, actually the first sermon. Because of what happened in Paris, we talked about evil and what it means to be a Christian and, and um, kind of how we should act in the midst of all the things that are going on. And the challenge that Christ puts upon us to love our enemies because that's really, really hard in the circumstances. We also talked about that hate doesn't change hate, that love is what overcomes hate. Uh, so I had some great conversations this week with, with several folks and I think a couple of things have crystallized for me. One is that we hate evil. Amen. It's evil in our world. We we hate that. That is not not okay. Um, but it doesn't mean that we hate all people. And now the difference for us when we talk about terrorists are the terrorists are perpetrating the evil. And that's the challenge for us. And that's a tension that I can't answer for you. I know that you have to wrestle with it just like I do when Christ tells us to, to love our enemies. Um, that's a challenge. And that's part of what it, the hard part of what it means to be a Christian. Christ didn't say it's going to be a piece of cake. Amen? It's going to be challenging for us. So I encourage you and invite you to wrestle with that. Now, this past week, we've seen a lot of things going on in, in our country and in our state. A lot of the states are barring refugees. Let me say this about terrorism and what their goal is, and I want you to think about this. <coughs> Terrorist goal is terror. They want us to be afraid. They want us to change the way that we do things. And there is no doubt that the security of our country is a huge deal, and we need to pay attention to that. But we have to constantly be cautious about throwing out the baby with the bathwater. When we say that none can come, that means that we're saying that the elderly can't come, that disabled people can't come, that kids can't come. And is that what we need to do? And that's the question for y'all to wrestle with. Do we want to be all or nothing? Or do we really want to wrestle with these difficult things in our world and in our life? Because we're afraid. <coughs> You're coming. Today we're going to be talking about Hosea. I'm going to revisit last week at the end because I really didn't preach much on last week. So, uh, we're going to be talking about Hosea uh, and Gomer. Uh, and so our passage is out of Isaiah 11, chapter 1. When Israel was a child, I loved them. And out of Egypt I called my son. But the more they were called, the more they went away from me. They sacrificed to the balls, the, the bales, and they burned incense to images. It was I who taught Ephraim to walk, taking them by the arms. But they didn't realize it was I who healed them. I led them with cords of human kindness, with ties of love. To them I was like one who lifts his little child to the cheek, and I bent down to feed them. Will they not return to Egypt, and will not Assyria rule over them, because they refuse to repent? A sword will flash in their cities, it will devour their false prophets until the end of their plan. My people are determined to turn from me. Even though they call me God most high, I will bear no means exalted. How can I give you up, friend? How can I hand you over, Israel? How can I treat you like Adam? How can I make you like the boy? My heart is changed within me. All my compassion is aroused. 
I will not carry out my fierce anger, nor will I devastate and frame. <coughs> For I am God and not a man, the Holy One among you. I will not come against their city. They will follow the Lord. He will roar like a lion. When he roars, his children will come trembling from the west. They will come from Egypt, trembling like sparrows, from Assyria, fluttering like doves. I will settle them in their homes, declares the Lord. And the second passage is that of Luke 15, 1 and 2. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. It's the word of God for all people. <laughs> so the book of Hosea, if you're not familiar with it, is a meditation on the love that God has for his people. Now, it's not a very typical love story because what God did with Hosea was that he told him, Hosea was a prophet, and he told him to marry a prostitute. Think about that if you're Hosea. All right, you're a man of God, and now I want you to go marry a prostitute. Go. You see? Give me that again. But he does. He does. And the first three chapters describe the relationship between Hosea and his wife, Gomer. And, that, and what it is a parable of, though, is the relationship that the Lord has, that God has with Israel. Because Gomer was constantly unfaithful. And Israel was constantly unfaithful. A lot of anger, bitterness, uh, self-destruction. It's a miracle that the relationship endures. But again, this is a parable of God's relationship with us. And that relationship will always endure. He's not going to let us go ever. Ever, ever. He even hangs out with us in our schools. Right, Claire? In the 11th chapter of Hosea, uh, there's a shift that happens. Because it moves from talking about but a husband and wife to talking about a parent and a child. And that's what this passage speaks to. Israel was adopted out of, out, was adopted out of Egypt to be God, God's child at praise. So the Israelite people were the children that, that God chose. They were the chosen people. And you think that if you're chosen by God, you'd have this gratitude, right? And you'd, you'd be so grateful that one, that God got you out of the circumstances and got you to a new place and that you'd just be so thankful. But from the time they left Egypt, what did they do? Yeah, they rebelled, they complained. I mean, they got food coming out of the sky. They wake up in the morning, go gather honey bread or whatever man is, you know, and, 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 and still they would go, oh, you know, I'm kind of tired of eating this. Can you give me something else? It was, it was always something with them said, so in the season of Thanksgiving, it, it can be a reminder for us that, you know, Israel forgot to be grateful and, and we need to constantly be, be thinking about those things that, that, that are given and gifted to us in, in our lives. You know, what Israel does is they call upon other gods. They interact with other people and they, and they call off the gods that they come in touch with. And in our passage, it's, it's almost like God is, is a little bewildered. And sometimes you, those of you who are parents that have thought about something that your kids did and went, I'm a little bewildered <laughs> what you're doing. But who taught Ephraim to walk? God I did. I kept him in my arms. I healed him. I was compassionate. I bent down to him. I said to him, not those others. It was me. I did those things. And Ephraim represents the northern kingdom of Israel, God's own people. God says, they're determined to run away from me. They're backsliders. 
They went to the far country. They went to that place called Assyria. They returned to Egypt where they were slaves. You can almost hear in that voice kind of that, what are you doing? Why are you doing this to me? And it, do you think when you're, sometimes when your kids do something, they say, why are you doing this? What's going on? And yet he continues on. He says, how can I give you up? Oh, that's right. How can I hand you over? How can I make you like Adonai or Boye? Those are two cities that shared the same fate as Sodom and Gomorrah. And an interesting thing happens, and this is critical for, for us. You see, the child, Israel, turned away from the parents and went their own way. And they constantly did that. But when the child turned from the parent, God didn't turn this way. God turned towards them. And he went for them. He never gave up on them. There was discipline and there were consequences for some of the things that they did. But he didn't give up. He turned towards them. And that happens for us. Sometimes we're going to turn away from God. But he doesn't turn away from us. He's with us in the midst of that. My heart recoils within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. I will not execute my fierce anger. I will not again destroy a frame, for I am God and not mortal, the Holy One in your midst. I'm not going to be like you. I'm not going to be like those crazy terrorist people that are destructive and nothing else. Even though he has all power and could. So keep that in mind that when, when we turn, God turns with us. And then think about Jesus as he's with the sinners. And the scribes and the Pharisees are mad at him. How can you do that? Don't you know that rabbis, we're, we're the elite, we're, we're the ones that, that are the holy of the holy. So, you know, we're the ones that get it right. We don't hang out with those people. But Jesus ate with them. He stayed with them. And you know who they are. Anybody in here sinner? Come on, that's us. You see, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the religious leaders of the day, turned away from sinners. People making mistakes, people doing things wrong, and the, and the religious people of the day turned away from them. But what did Jesus do? He went to them. He didn't just turn towards them and wave. He went and ate a meal with them. He hung out with them. And it made people mad. Don't, don't ever forget that. Because sometimes when we live out our faith, you know what's going to happen? People are going to be mad. You know, I don't have any illusions at all about the difficulty of, of the Christian walk. I know that by, by even talking about refugees this morning, that some people in here said, are, are going, man, that is so off target. I'm not even going to consider that because our security is first. And other people in here are, are going, well, we should be even more open with our Lord. How do we turn towards people and not throw them away? And secure them. Nobody said life was going to be easy. 
And as a Christian in the midst of all of this, you're going to see stuff. If you're a Facebook person, you're going to see this all over the place. Because uh, I'm already seeing it there, and, and, and some of my religious uh, friends are, are posting stuff all, all over the place about this. Is, is that they're going to point out that Jesus, Mary, and Joseph were refugees. That they were kicked out of Herod was a terror. And they left, and they ended up out and you know, get kicked out. So you're going to see a lot about that. Don't get swayed by that stuff, because that's not, not necessarily the point. The point that I'm trying to make with you is don't be careful. Don't not remember. Be careful not to let an ideology or a political stance take you away from, from, your, from your faith and what needs to happen as a Christian. Because you need to weigh these things. These things are not cut and dried, and we've got to wrestle with them. You've heard me say this up in here. Tension is good. Tension is a part of life. This is difficult. And for some of us, here's the beauty, though. For some of us, we're going to land at, we need to say no to all. Others are going to land for other places, and that's okay. That's the beauty of, of us together. My challenge to you, though, is at least wrestle. At least wrestle with the difficulties that come in being a Christian in a world that's distinctly not. So these two passages lead us into the heart of who God is, I think. He is a compassionate God. He cares about his people, which is us. He always has. He always has. And it runs. He's a loving parent for us. And the sign of that is that this relationship endures. We have communion once a month here. And it's not, what it is is it's a sacrament. It's a sacred moment. It's an outward and visible sign of an inward and spiritual grace. When we take communion, it's, it's the Lord's Supper. How do we know that we're in a relationship? That's one of the ways that we know as we take in this remembrance of who Christ is in our life. We come to this meal, we eat it together, and it's all about grace. Jesus' life and ministry was all about grace. He, he, he extended that grace consistently. It's one of my resting points is that I know how much grace he's extended to me as a recovering drug addict and alcoholic. I know that he's extended a massive grace to me because of my past. And what do I do with that grace? I need to be extending that grace into the lives of others. Jesus takes the loaf, right? And what do you do with it? He feeds the multitudes. He feeds thousands of people. He tells a story at a dinner party about those who respond to the invitation, those who don't. In his life and relationship, Jesus is constantly reaching out, reaching out to others, trying to engage them. He didn't go to church very much. He was the church on wheels. He was the church, well, I guess what I'm saying. He was the church everywhere that he went. And the cultural idea that then was that righteous associated with righteous sinners and the sinners to clean ate with those who were clean, the unclean ate with those who were unclean. That was the way that it was. But a physician goes to the sick, is what Jesus told him. If you're sick, I'm going to come to you. The Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. So our question is simple. How can a holy God be in relationship with an unholy people? 
How can Jesus eat with sinners? From a human perspective, that doesn't make sense. But we needed a bridge. We needed a way to, to God. And, and Jesus is that way for us. He is the way, the truth, the life. There is no other path to God. Holiness doesn't destroy sin. It's through compassion that it saves us. Saves us. You love God heals. He heals you. I think sometimes that God must wonder, how do I get this message across? How do I get people to understand? How much I love them? How much I want them to follow me? How much I want to be involved in their life? I don't want all those other gods that keep leading them away. I want what's best for them. I want them to have life and have it And Jesus comes and he sits down and he has a meal. He has a meal with his disciples from the Last Supper. He has a meal on the road to Emmaus with two guys who were walking from Jerusalem to a place called Emmaus. And when he had that meal, they were able to see who he was. Their eyes were open and near. Charles Wesley wrote a hand. They come sinners to the gospel feast. Let every soul be Jesus yet. You need not want to be left behind, for God has been all human kind. Come sinners to the gospel feast. That's us. We're invited to the gospel feast. So this theory on worship. My ulterior motive, I don't know how ulterior it is, I think I probably have said it before, is to create anchors, to create reminders of worship in our lives. See, worship is not this, just this. It's not just coming together on Sunday morning. We come together, we celebrate God. Worship is everywhere that we go and all that we do. And this week I asked you to read Romans 12, 1 and 2. Please do so. Because it asks the question, what is your spiritual act of worship? What's that mean? So the first week we had, what was it, seven miles to lift up, Roscanea, to bow down, the trade to serve. So anybody in here exercise? So what's your exercise? Wait, 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 you know, lift up, bow down, serve. It's a hope that exercise is a reminder to you that worship is a part of our exercise and live unto the Lord. That God is a part of that. The second week, we talked about breathing in grace and breathing out praise. Some of y'all have deep breath time during the week where you just go, <sighs> I'm hoping that maybe you can, in the midst of having just taking a deep breath, that you remember that this is. I'm breathing in grace and breathing out praise that God is a part of my life right where I am. I am not alone. He is with me. Last week was washing hands. Now, I know we only got into the front end of that. But it's connected to baptism as a reminder that whenever I wash my hands, something that we all do every day, it can remind us of our baptism and the fact that we died to the old life and we are raised as a new creation everywhere that we go. This week is about a meal. When we eat, when we, when we, when we, uh, throughout the, you know, hopefully you eat, uh, during, you know, 
that that can be a reminder for us of who God is, that He never left us, that He turns towards us in the midst of our struggle. He's always been His, Jesus has, has used meals throughout His ministry to illustrate how much He wants to be in relationship with you and God. So the goal really has been to bring worship into every day, because worship happens in school, and it happens at home, and it happens uh, at work. It's, it's wherever we are. That's the goal of worship. It's not just this once-a-week event that we come to on Sunday morning. Living worship as a lifestyle. And that's how we worship weekly, everywhere that we are. In closing today, if you see up here, there's a lot of, there are really the pieces of glass, obviously. There's a, a, a white piece of glass. And I'm talking about reminders and anchors. And so my, what I hope that you'll do is come and pick one up. It, this is a reminder of holiness that as we live our life and during the week, maybe it's putting on a dresser and maybe when you look at it, when you, when you get up in the morning, you go, okay, this is, I, I, I need to work on that aspect of my relationship with God. Maybe you need to know that the Lord shed his blood for you. And that he loves you so much. And that's what the red are for. So uh, during our closing hymn, uh, if, you, if you guys will come, I invite you and encourage you to come forward. Take one of these home Whichever one you need. Because <laughs> I hope that, that through, the, through our lives we recognize that there's nowhere that we go that God is not there. He wants to be in relationship with you and with me in all things.